Welcome to The New Disruptors, a podcast that plays tic-tac-toe with your heart. I'm your host, Glenn Fleischman. If you've listened to more than a couple of episodes of this podcast, you've heard me mention the XOXO Festival. This event, which happened for the first time in September 2012 in Portland, Oregon, brought together dozens of avatars of change, people who had managed to build a direct connection between their art and their audience, often with the help of new kinds of intermediaries like Kickstarter, Etsy, VHX for video streaming, and many others. The festival had a conference in the middle, but also three nights of fun. There were video games, music, and film that also demonstrated the same sorts of connections. I came away from XOXO feeling like the top of my head had been torn off. My life today is largely different than it was a year ago, and my life a year ago was actually pretty good, too. In this episode, I have the two guys behind XOXO, Andy Bayo joining us from Portland and Andy McMillan from Belfast, Northern Ireland. We're going to talk about last year and this coming September's show. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Andy and Andy. Thank you for having us. Hello. It's a pleasure to have you. And as I say, this uh, the podcast Genesis was from that event. I'd been thinking about doing a book about making Kickstarter campaigns successful. I'd started it, I launched it, Andy, you gave me some advice after I launched it, did not ignite. I went to XOXO and I was like, aha, this is what I need to be doing. I need to be talking to more people like this. And I've talked to, I think, literally now hundreds of people who were at the event and we all got this contact high from it. We all went away and many of us changed our lives and not like we quit our jobs and joined a commune, but we all figured out a little bit more of what we're doing with ourselves. I would love to know how you started down this path to create this unique event. Well, you know, before we even get into that, I just want to say that your podcast has been such a, uh, I mean, it's so in line with, with everything that we've, that we've talked about and, uh, and the, you know, the motivation and the inspiration behind the, behind the event. I, I think it's a, it's a safe bet that anybody that is listening, <laughs> listening right now, I mean, what's funny is, you know, we just shared with you the, uh, the initial lineup for this, for this year and, and going through the new disruptors backlog, there's just, there's so much overlap. It's, it's hilarious. What's fun though, too, I'd say, and I think this must've been your problem in figuring out who to invite to the event this year is because there's a really broad rubric here, there are thousands and thousands of people I could talk to and thousands and thousands of people who could be part of this. So actually selecting the right people who are, who who want to share the the kind of inspiration they have or what they're doing is very difficult. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, the the when Andy and I were like looking at who to to bring to this, a great test is just looking at the focus of the event, which is, you know, it is about independent art uh, and tech. It's about in, independent artists that are using technology, using the internet on their own to make a living uh, doing what they love and doing it without. Uh, Without traditional uh, publishers, without uh, you know people that are um, that are telling them that they that they can't get their work out into the world, and so it's very easy to look at uh, to look at those people and say you know you can have people that are just independent, but they're not you know they don't like to connect with uh, uh, with their audience, they don't like to use uh, technology, or you can look at uh, you can look at people that are really really tech savvy but don't have a great um, you know a great art you know creative um, uh, focus. So, I mean, it's basically just ends up being a being a test for um, for who we want to 
we want to bring out. I should mention the voice you're hearing just now, that's Andy Bayo. Andy McMillan in Belfast has a different voice. Uh, I do have a different voice. Uh, I'm doing very well. Same name, different voice. Andy <laughs> McMillan, you were building conferences, including one called Build, before XOXO. Andy Bayo, you talked before about how you attended a lot of conferences, you had strong ideas. I know there's an interesting story. You guys got together through almost a simultaneity. You had similar ideas and uh, someone connected you to talk about this? Yeah, this, the story of how we got together is that I love telling the story because there are so many uh, facets to it that have greatly improved my <laughs> life over the past few years. Yeah. So we, um, it was right on the, on the cusp of Andy publishing the blog post about the kind of bloop legal hoo-ha, which I'm sure you remember <laughs> quite fondly. And uh, I, <laughs> I had been, uh, I, was in, I was in Portland. I have no idea why I went to Portland. This is a question that comes up all the time. I just uh, I decided to go and stay with a friend there for a month. And I was going back to the house one evening and my friend said, hey, do you see all this stuff that happened with Andy Bayo? Like, I was like, yeah, of course. It was all over Twitter all day. And he said, well, he just tweeted, I want to go for a beer. It's been a very stressful day. And my friend said, right, okay, let's go. Why don't we go have a beer? Why don't we go, go downtown and, and have a drink? So we kind of, we met because of that. And I like to tell Andy all the time, like, you know, $32,000, that wasn't really that much of a price to pay for this friendship. <laughs> you know, at least in the aftermath of this horrible thing, you got to Le- meet me. Life gives you, life um, gives you lawsuits so, over so lemons. You make we, lemonade conferences. <laughs> exactly. So we uh, we met that night for the first time. And I also, I met Neva Morgan that night for the first time. And I told him, like, oh, I love it here. Two weeks into this trip, I was convinced I wanted to spend the rest of my life here. I'm just totally gelling with the city. And, you know, I have been running events at that point for three or four years professionally. Um, You know, I'd love to kind of tap into the energy here and like the creative community. I feel like even in a couple of weeks, I've got so much out of being here. And so I had kind of just let slip whenever we were having a drink to to Nevin that I was entertaining the idea of returning and maybe exploring working on something in Portland, but very casual, just over a beer. I should mention too, Nevin Morgan is, uh, he's the, uh, one of the heads of, of Panic Software, which makes a lot of great Mac software that I use. <laughs> I think they sponsored the podcast. I'd be careful. I use it. They're not sponsoring this episode to my knowledge, but I use Transmit and uh, Coda. They make a lot of great Mac software. Some of it really aimed at developers, but Nevin's a great, he's a networker. He's a person who everyone that I know seems to know. Uh, you can hear him on any of, I think, a dozen podcasts in the last six months, <laughs> and he's a super nice guy. So he's kind of this Portland tech hub person as well. Yeah. He's a, I mean, he's a, he's a designer, but also a very talented game uh, game designer as well. He's put out uh, uh, one successful iOS game and working on his next one right now. Yeah, and as these things go, I just published his wife, Krista Mergen, who works for Rogue Amoeba as a designer. She was just in the latest issue or the previous issue of the magazine, and uh, Nevin had photos in it to illustrate how they met. So small world, as usual. Well, so we, yeah, so I was I was talking to, to Nevin that evening, and I think I'm not. I'm not sure what happened between there, but kind of Nevin ended up talking to Andy, and Andy was working on a thing. And yeah, I got I got a I got a direct message from from Nevin because I'd been you know working on the earliest stages of this uh, this festival idea, and and Nevin's like, "Do you know Andy McMillan? I <laughs> think he's planning on doing a festival." Uh, in Portland, and I was like, "Oh crap!" <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so we kind of—I um, think that was whenever you reached out to me, right, and said, mm-hmm. "Like, hey, I'm working on a thing. 
rumor has it you're working on a thing. And I just got this email out of the blue from this guy that I met once over a beer. And I was like, how does this guy know what I'm working on? At this point, I hadn't like mentioned that I was in the very early stages of, of planning something. And uh, Andy reached out and said, why don't we go for a beer? So we, we ended up going for a beer and we sat across from each other. And I proposed at this initial meeting that Andy pitched what he was working on. And I would pitch what I was working on. And if they overlapped, um, maybe there was some uh, kind of region that we would be able to collaborate together. We could discuss that in depth. But if they were pretty distinct, then we would deliberately make sure that they were far enough apart. Mm. And we would work together to make sure that they were very well defined in relation to each other. And we would essentially go our separate ways in, in terms of organizing. And so Andy told me what he was working on. And I didn't even have to say anything because we were essentially working on the same thing. I just said, okay, I don't need to pitch my thing because you're doing what I was working on. So over the course, we had, a, we had a couple more drinks. We moved to another bar. And in the merriment, Andy put his hand across the table and said, let's do this thing together. And that was how XO was born. Andy, uh, he got a little bit further than me. He had named it. And I actually, I only admitted this to him quite recently that whenever he told me the name was XOXO, the first thing I thought was, (laughs) okay, we got to change that. (laughs) How how are we going to sell that to people? That's like, how are we going to explain what that means to people? And then obviously it's become such an important part uh, of, of what the event is. And Andy actually quite succinctly summed it up in the opening address uh, the first day of XO, which is online as well with the videos, which I'm sure he'll, he'll get into in a little bit more depth. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it, it, it's a filter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it, we didn't intend it to be that way. But, uh, you know, so much of the tone of the festival and the reason that, that I think it, it, it worked is that it is a reaction to to so much of the cynicism and snark that happens online and that it that drives me nuts those like knee-jerk contrarians right when you 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 put something out in the world that inevitably if you do it by yourself or in a very small team it's imperfect it always has flaws and people focus on those flaws and they are quick to 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 like ride into battle with the fail flag <laughs> you know <laughs> fail and and it drives me crazy or 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 even worse meh where they're like, yeah, hey, yeah. they're just like, there's this indifference. Like, why did you even summon the calories to, to type med? Did, you're adding zero. This and is so, the, va- the valley wag attitude of the world, which is that everything is boring. Everything's been done. Everything is about money. There's no love. There's no creativity. The next thing that's done is, is invariably worse than anything that's been done before. Right. And it is endemic in, mm-hmm. in, in tech. It, it was hilarious to me when Kickstarter launched that that was basically the the reaction was from like TechCrunch's article was like, yeah, another crowdfunding site. And it was like, could not, could not see, could not pierce that veil of cynicism. And, uh, anyway, so the, the name ended up being a filter because to trust in something called XOXO, that it's like, it's named after hugs and kisses for God's sake. (laughs) I mean, it's like, it is about people that, you know, are doing what they love and love what they do. And, and, you know, it is, uh, there's, you know, something kind of sweetly naive, uh, you know, about that. But it's also, uh, you know, it involves a lot of trust. Well, you threw this thing out in the world, too. I think you shouldn't discount the role that, that both of you play is that neither of you are cynical people. You've spent your entire career interacting with hundreds, thousands, you know, sometimes millions of people 
and demonstrating an attitude that you were not cynical. And so when this came out, I had only learned much about you, Andy B., not long before I think it was announced. I was, you were on my radar, but I don't think we knew each other at all. And, and the kind of bloop thing came out. And, and I th- thought, gosh, all these different things that I'm interested in, Andy has had some hand in. And look at what he does. It's all this generous stuff. You announced the conference. And I said, I need to get into that. I, I, I'm, where's my $400? Because this is going to be something interesting and unique. And I just trusted that you would do it. And I didn't care even if it didn't come off the way that it should. That didn't matter. I trusted all of your intent. And I think a a lot of people did, both of you. They came to it saying, these guys are going to do something interesting and we're just going to be part of it. And we'll figure out what it is later. I don't care. I just want to be part of what they're doing. Yeah, I think people got it. Like they watched the video, they mm-hmm. you know they, they they read the text that was on the Kickstarter project, and uh, and they immediately understood. It. And we had concerns, like we as it was leading up to the to us launching the project, we were debating everything, and we had no idea. We thought it, it, that this would either it would either just you know like our friends would back it, and that would be and that would be it, or or it would be it would be a big success. But we had no idea what was about to happen. Well, I think you had all these great components. If I can if I can break them down a little bit and you guys can you guys can break them down yourself, but it's that you know, A Portland is one of the best cities in the world to do something like this. There is as I go through this and I start booking guests, I think I have five people booked from Portland in the next few months, and I've talked to some already. And I know, you know, there's like 15 cartoonists I know there, and some are now good friends, and all these writers. And I think Kickstarter has told me the one of the highest densities of projects per capita is Portland. It's just a city in which there is, even if you, you know, people get into the Williamsburg hipsterish idea about it, but it's a great city to launch something like this because people are receptive to the idea that there is a change afoot and they want to be part of it. Yeah, and part, you know, part of that is because the the job market here has been historically very soft, and so, <laughs> and, and the cost of living is very low, and the yeah. and the result there is that uh, your quality of life can be very very high if you are the type of person that uh, works on the internet or effectively is independent uh, enough to to run your own thing, and you know you don't have people you know taking taking cuts of whatever you're you're doing, you can actually make a decent living because the the cost of living is so low. So the so and that and that spans across every genre uh, of art and creativity here so you see like the food cart scene is unbelievable and and that's basically like the 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 indie diy you know xoxo version of of food is these people that are you know uh, setting up really low risk experimental uh, restaurants in a you know permanent location in what you know what amounts to a, a tiny shack well and you have what 700 something now it's some crazy number oh, it's it's is it more absurd than that? there's there's so many here that uh they don't measure it by the number of like <laughs> new uh carts they measured in the number of new pods and a oh pod is like a like a, like a pod of whales it's like a group of food carts that all collectively just rent a parking lot and then appear i just went to one yesterday that opened two days ago in my neighborhood oh my God. with with eight new carts it just and this contrasted to seattle where i live where we you know i think we have like a dozen now maybe where the city here we have we're much richer we have a much more established there's an oligarchy that kind of runs the town not to be too revolutionary but it's true there's a lot of moneyed interests that kind of keep everything within certain bounds so the licensing wasn't allowed it was like no 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 real estate's too valuable parking lots are too valuable the restaurants don't want this to happen we don't need food carts and so it's only in the last year or two the licensing has started to loosen up. But Portland, you've been a hotbed of experimentation. Yeah, and so so that 
applies to to food. It applies to music. The, the music scene here is you know very well well known for for indie bands. Uh, publishing the zine. I mean, there, there's a there's dedicated zine uh, stores and a and a zine library. There's you know like I mean this, it, it it just applies across the board. It's a very like you know do it yourself independent uh, culture. Yeah, and the Portlandia thing is funny because I grew up in Eugene, so I know the whole I know the Portland thing very well. You know, Portland's always the big city, and we were the tiny, even more countercultural city, which I think Portland has now become more of. But like Portlandia, you know, a lot of that I know it's true on one level. There's sort of an, it's exaggeration of actual truth and behavior, but the flip side is like the genuineness, the sincereness, the reality that people are actually engaged in this. It's not an act; it's what they do. Yeah, but people that live in Portland are. They grow weary of the of the Portlandia <laughs> uh, references because it just becomes like it's become such a cultural touchstone that if yeah. you meet anybody from outside, like if you travel and and tell people you're from Portland, they'll you know put a bird on it or pickle that or whatever or the you know it's where I'm going to retire. But but yeah, I think a lot of that is actually out of love. I mean, both uh, both Fred Armisen and and Carrie Bronstein live uh, in Portland now. Uh, I mean, Carrie's lived here forever, but Fred, Ar- Fred Armisen lives in in uh, in Northwest now. Yeah, so they, it's, they it's, make fun of what they love because they know it, and it's a wonderful. But it's also it's easy to lampoon because the lampooning is partly because everyone else in the country is so you know not everyone, but you know, so serious. And Portland is actually a relatively light-hearted town in the sense that people focus on things they believe in and love. And you, like I say, you contrast it with Seattle or San Francisco; it's a very very different vibe in both of those cities. The closest you know metropolis is nearby. Yeah, and and that character, there's no question. I mean, that XOXO is as much about Portland as as those other things. It was an, it was a reason to bring people here, and uh, it was a reason to it was a great excuse to uh, you know incorporate all of the things that and, and the incredibly creative people that we love uh, here into the into the festival and even the volunteers the volunteers it's amazing like we've gone on to be they've become some of our closest friends like you like you said like a creative incredibly creative people that could they could be speaking at this thing and Mm -hmm. they were volunteering uh just to just to help it's just amazing let's take a break to talk about one of our sponsors igloo so Igloo is an internet you're actually going to like. It hits all of my buttons for collaboration. It's a set of tools I've always thought should be in one place, plus a design aesthetic you can get behind. Igloo lets you share content quickly with built-in apps, use blogs, calendars, file sharing, forums, Twitter-like microblogs, and wikis. Every different way you need to communicate and archive, that communication is available. Everything is social, so you can comment on any type of content. You can at mention your coworkers, you can follow content for updates, and use tags to group things around the way you work. You can add on rooms like mini igloos for each of your teams to work in. And it's easy. The whole thing is drag and drop and features responsive design so it works well in mobile, and it uses beautiful fonts from Typekit. Igloo has enterprise-grade security. You can start using it right away. It's free to use with up to 10 people. When your Igloo grows, it's just $12 per person per month. Go to igloosoftware.com slash explode to start building your Igloo. And now back to the podcast. We're volunteering uh, just to just to help. It's just amazing. Everyone wanted to be part of it, and I I've wondered how you shaped it because it had this sort of um, there were sort of multiple parts. So there was a festival part. That, I mean, I know you called it a festival, but there was sort of a uh, the nighttime events that were sort of exploring different arts. There was the two day conference part. There was the pull up a bunch of food carts out front of that wonderful Yale Union space uh, art gallery that's being transformed still. Uh, that kind of thing, which was sort of public, and there's the marketplace. People could come in and see 
stuff like Cards Against Humanity and some local companies and Etsy's booth and so forth. There were all these different pieces. Um, was this a let's try a bunch of things because we don't know what's going to work and we're going to do it? Or is this a no, we need to have all these components in place so that they all intersect correctly? We, I mean, at the point, I mean, Andy, Andy can talk about this. So, I mean, we, at the point that we did the Kickstarter project, we actually outlined virtually everything that we were going to do up front. Mm-hmm. And we we knew we knew the things that, that made sense and that and that we wanted to do. So the, we did the XOXO film, which was film screenings with the directors. We did our, we did XOXO arcade, which was all independent, unreleased, uh, uh, mostly multiplayer video games. Uh, some very experimental stuff with live chiptune music and video game music, uh, with the game designers present. Uh, and then and then music, which was pretty amazing lineup of independent musicians that had found their audiences online and then like yeah as you said the 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 market and everything else i mean all that all that fringe programming uh what we called fringe was really like even calling it fringe isn't wasn't accurate because it ended up being so much of the of the vibe of the of the event uh and and yeah you know a lot of that was it was it was intentional we we knew that that going into this we wanted something that was substantial enough to draw uh, a national audience uh, and or international it ended up being internationally a lot of people uh, coming in from overseas but uh, when I first started working on this before I met uh, Andy McMillan I, I, I had friends of mine that said this seems really insane to do as your first event <laughs> it was like that's crazy like a three four day thing why, why not just do do a, start with a one day thing and I was like no if I do that it's going to be Portland, West West Coast at best. Nobody is going to come in from New York. Nobody's going to come in from the South or Midwest. They're not going to come in from uh, you know international. And so we knew that it had to be big. And so that's that's what we set out to do. That that was definitely. I mean, you mentioned Portlandia, and that's something that we kind of try to push away from. But there there has been this kind of recent. Um, national and almost international obsession with Portland and everyone has wanted a reason to go there. So suddenly, you know, we, we were presented with this opportunity and we wanted, we wanted to create something substantial. So whenever I was talking to Andy, he knew that he wanted to make something that was a few days. And I definitely wanted to do that as well. We were both working on a festival, but in order for people to really come and, and get to properly experience the city, we knew that it had to be significant. And like the the idea of fringe and even that it's named fringe and even though that eventually became kind of inaccurate was borrowed from build and and it had build has been a week long and it's you know gives people a reason to come and experience the city and that was like oh really tell me a little about build i don't know much about build at all that's a a web design focused event yeah so (laughs) isn't it funny how i can always like jam the crowbar in and then start talking about my own No, stuff. no, but I think this is what informed the conference, though, is because that's, I mean, you had all these thousands of people who knew Build, and that's some of the audience that you brought with you here, too. Sure. So, I mean, while I've been working on Build for, it'll be five years this year, this this year in November will be the last one. And uh, it started, It it's a design conference for web designers. So the conference day itself, which is on the Thursday, is design ideas, but with a kind of a tint towards the web. But it's more kind of bigger ideas about design and particularly about where web design as a distinct design discipline is going. So, it, I mean, it started in the first year kind of um, out of frustration of like 
I wanted to make something that didn't exist and I wasn't happy with the things that did exist. So I was going to go on my merry way and make something that I felt was better. And uh, it's kind of grown over the past four or five years to become this week long thing where we bolted on film and music and workshops and practical events and evening lectures and a beer festival and a, a pub quiz and all this other stuff. And it became this huge week-long thing. And that's something that I got a lot of really positive feedback about very uh, quickly whenever those changes started to happen was, this is nice. This is like, if we want to come from the West Coast of America, it doesn't make sense to go for a day to Ireland. No one wants to go for a <laughs> one-day thing because, you know, you fly in the day before and you leave the day after or you try to plan a holiday. Like, it's people really appreciated being able to here are a bunch of things that are guaranteed to be going on for a week. You can come to whatever you like. You can skip stuff if you want. That's fine if you find other things to do. But if you're stuck, if you don't know what's going on, there's always something to entertain you and there's always something to go to. And that's definitely something that we brought over to EXO was that even though we totally understand how these things work, people will you know, buy their pass and they're not going to religiously attend every single thing that we put on the program. We wanted people to feel like they were coming to something mm. substantial and they had a reason to travel um, whatever distance they had to travel to come to this thing. And I mean, it, it paid off very handsomely in that regard because it was over 80% of the people who came to AXO traveled from outside of Portland. And the vast majority of those people, to get back to the to my previous point, had never been to Portland before, but everybody was, you know, fascinated by it and really wanted a reason to come. So oh, yeah. they were very enthusiastic about that travel as well. You made it so Portlandy. I mean, we talked about this a little bit. The Yale Union is a great space, an old laundry that's in the process of being converted into a an art gallery, an art installation with great big spaces, but unfinished. The food trucks out front. You closed off a street for the food trucks. You got sun to come to Portland. I don't know how you did that. We had two days <laughs> of sun. You had the mayor introduce. You know, I mean, the, the Yale. Union uh, director also gave a neat talk about their development and so forth and what the space was about and their goals. And then the mayor of Portland, Sam Adams, gave this hilarious, boy, is he funny. He gave a hilarious intro. I'm like, this is a place rooted in space. This is not an event that could happen in any conference room. Uh, you know, I could, you guys have probably done this too. I've been to a million tech conferences. I'm tired of going to places and being marketed at and talked at and being in endless corridors where the Santa Clara Convention Center, I think I still am there now. Like there's an endless <laughs> corridor. The, that's my hell is walking down there the, the hundred days I've spent there over my life. This was a place, a, an event about space and place and, and being in a place. And I, I and bringing all that stuff, having other venues to go to, bringing all the different kinds of creativity in outside of the conference proper was wonderful too because you rooted it. Yeah, yeah you I know, mean, I, it, sorry, go ahead. Uh, well, I, I just wanted to say like the, that's, we had to work a little harder for that stuff too. Like all the people came to the YU building and they're like, wow, this, you know, beautiful, <laughs> beautiful building. Yeah. They're like, yeah, like three days ago we were bolting a satellite dish to the roof so we could get <laughs> Wi-Fi in here. And we had to like bring in anyone who was at XO will know the toilet situation. Cause we were joking about having to bring in toilets. Yes, and but, stuff. but then and you it, got the best toilets in the world. I didn't care. <laughs> yeah, I had to go outside. See, I've seen those since it's a new, I've been at several events, a wedding, other things since and I'd never seen these before 
and I'm going to put a link in the show notes. So there's a website about them. It, they're, <laughs> I don't want to talk, but people did talk about the toilets afterwards because even even that level of detail, you didn't put in porta potties. You put in these actually fairly luxurious outdoor sort of trailers. Right. I mean, the space was extremely raw. It didn't have yeah. uh, for for a conference. It's an, it's great for uh, for as a gallery space, but it, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't it didn't have bathrooms. It didn't have uh, it didn't have wireless. It didn't have really the electricity that we needed. It certainly didn't have staging or lighting uh, or, or Wi-Fi, so we put every we put everything in. Yeah, and those bathrooms, I looked at so many. <laughs> it was awful. That was this is the glamorous part oh of uh, of event production, is going out to to Honey Bucket in North Portland and looking oh at God. disgusting. It was awful, but we Andy, found you did great. Those are the best. Well, they, those are absolutely yeah. The best. I mean, I found it, they're the, they're the ones that are used by Nike for their private events. It's basically a, it's an air conditioned trailer with private stalls and flowers and running water, and yeah, it's awesome. But when it was hot upstairs, I'd go downstairs and hang out. So it's a... my my favorite thing about those toilets, and I don't want to get into like in jokes, you know, because not everyone listening was at my favorite so thing. My favorite thing about those toilets was the uh, if you went into the cubicle. They had photos of other less nice toilets hanging oh on the wall God, just to remind you, you're in a really nice toilet. Like this toilet on the wall, that's nothing compared to the toilet that you are about to enjoy. <laughs> I do think that was part of it, though. I mean, even the toilet thing is that we were – it was a group experience. We weren't being deprived, but it was this – we would all go out and get in line at the food truck. We didn't sit down and have people bring us rubber chicken. We would all be in line. I met like – 50 people in line for the bathrooms. It was awesome. We were talking and chatting. It was fun. Then we'd go back in, we'd go back out. It was great. Yeah, the bathrooms yeah, I mean, the lo- are the place the location, to be. The location is so much more than, than, than just the city. I mean, there, there is a convention center, and that's where almost every big event is held, is at the Oregon Convention Center, and it's horrible. It is a soulless... It's like every other convention center <laughs> you've ever seen. It's extremely convenient. Uh, in that it has all of those things, it has a staff and for for staging and and audio and and it has wireless and it has uh, bathrooms and it's wheelchair accessible and, and and all of those things. But it has no soul, and it's also in an area of town that that I mean we have eighty percent of the attendees coming in coming in from outside of state to to, to bring them to Portland and put them in that area of town where there's nothing interesting, whereas the YU. Yes, we had to do all that stuff at great expense and time and effort, but it was on the it's across the street from two different breweries that are fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh there's great uh, restaurants within walking distance. It's a uh, you know, it's a, a short walk to the to the Morrison Bridge to to take you across the river and and downtown. You know, and the the historic in Portland sign uh, that that everybody, you know, has become like an icon of Portland. You can you know you see when you're walking across the bridge there. No, so, Portland was a Portland was a, a you know part of the was part of the experience, and I think you I think you rooted that really beautifully. That it was it I mean, that, that whole thing. This the um the not having to go to another convention center. I think that attracts a different sort of person too to go because uh, and it also sets a different tone. You go in there. We're not in a convention center. We don't get locked into the same kinds of snarky, cynical marketing, uh, you know, things that are never going to happen, things we don't want to happen, attitudes that, that I would be feeling whenever I walked into a ballroom with no windows. And you, you talked about, you mentioned briefly, you know, meeting people in kind of random random places, meeting people in line for the, for the food carts or the bathrooms or whatever else. Uh, one thing that I was really struck by and I, I was really surprised by this because it didn't it, – it, at the time, it was like a – it was just a spur-of-the-moment thing, but it ended up paying huge dividends, was was in the in the original opening 
talk when Andy and I were on stage talking about uh, what the thing's about and you know kind of logistics. At one point, Andy's like, "Do you have anything else else to add?" And then I I, I was like, "No," but then I just I thought like just to make the point that everyone there is interesting and everyone mm. you know is there for a reason. Go up and talk to like if you see. You know, you see someone by themselves, or you see someone, you know, there's a group of people, but you don't know them, just do it. Just go talk to them, because I guarantee, like, I I, I Googled every single attendee that I didn't know. And you only, need to stop it was a, telling people that. <laughs> we were Googling you meticulously before you showed absolutely. up. Absolutely. <laughs> we were reverse curating. Well, I'm, I, was just, I was curious. Did I look at the Twitter? I was like, I don't know that name. I go look at the Twitter account, and it's someone who'd done something amazing. So, so, I, so I basically just, I said that. And then at the end of the festival, when it was all over, uh, at the closing party, I had so many people come up to me, and they're like, you know, normally I'm really introverted. Normally I don't go talk to people. I did it this time, and it changed my entire experience uh, of of the event. And not just that, but, but uh, you know, front-loading all the social events, which is something that we borrowed from Build, doing the social events before the, uh, before the conference makes so much sense because it gets people to to all interact, to meet each other, to talk to one another in, and you give them just enough structure to, to make that possible. You, you send them to venues around the city. We, we sent them to ground control or amazing retro arcade where there's all free play. We had events at panic and, and widen Kennedy. We had a, we had a big opening party and, uh, you know, just sending people around the city to, to do stuff and giving them a lot of free and open, uh, space just to, to run into one another. You're also part of kind of, well, you're kind of a part of a, a different trend that's going on in conferences too. Is that um, there's there's a bunch of events that are more like this. Like the month after your event, I went to Singular or Singleton rather in Montreal, which was for programmers, but it was about helping iOS and Mac programmers think about what they were doing outside of their normal. So it wasn't a programming conference. It was here's ways to think about things, and it, it was also consciousness raising. It was a, and it was that same thing. It was very social. There was a wonderful group dinner. There were you know lot, alcohol flowing freely and wonderful food. And this wonderful in Old Town uh, Montreal and the view you know Montreal and uh, uh, there's Webstock in New Zealand. I hear a ton about Webstock. People love that event because it's about community and the design. It's more like build. Gosh, there's another. Oh, oh it actually reminds me of. Um, I haven't been on this, but the Jonathan Colton cruise, the Joko go cra- uh, uh, cruise crazy that um, Paul and Storm uh, organize, and uh, then there's also uh, Max FunCon, which is not about any business thing, but it's all of these events. What I hear back, or what I've participated, in is that people attending are going in this receptive mode where they're willing to meet other people, even if they're introverted, even if normally this isn't their thing. They go and often make lifelong friends as a result, you know, separate from whether it is, a, you know, a, a cruise for fun or a business event. And I love the fact that what you're doing is part of maybe a movement to transform how we interact with these kinds of things, what we get out of them. Yeah, you know, uh, one thing that we <laughs> we distinctly did not do was uh, was do sort of like practical talks. Mm-hmm. You know, this wasn't like a, you know, typically at at uh, at conferences you have people talking about, uh, you know, CSS or JavaScript or you know what, whatever it is that the that the topic of the event is. It's very like practical sort of you know hands-on talks, uh, and you know in our case we could have we could have had people go and talk about you know. Kickstarter rewards and you know structuring projects or how to how to do you know the marketing for your project, but no, that's not. It just wasn't. That's not what it was about. 
it was it was getting these people up there and having them tell their stories and the 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 end result is is even more powerful than that because having someone go and and you know work through some practical stuff on on stage and maybe take notes and maybe you don't but it's not going to you know shift the fundamental motivation which is like knowing that this is possible knowing that it's uh that it's achievable and that other people have done it and that you can you can do it too and uh you know in in prompting all of the speakers last year we had an amazing lineup of speakers mm-hmm. uh very often i we, several for several of them it was their first talk like Julia Nunes uh, singer singer songwriter who made a really kind of built her audience on on YouTube and then independently released four albums uh, one of them big uh, big Kickstarter project and was on Conan O'Brien and a bunch of you know has has had uh, mainstream success beyond that she uh, she'd never done talk before and so you know I, I met her in Brooklyn we sat down and she just she didn't know what to talk about and I just said you know you are like a modern day superhero. Tell your origin story. <laughs> it's the, it's it, like I love I love in superhero movies. It's always like or and in, in, in comics, it's like the origin story is always the most interesting part. Like after that, it's like okay, yeah, you're now you're amazing. Now you're amazing. But like just tell tell how how that happened. Tell your story, and uh, I think it worked really well. The the uh, kinds of speakers you had, you split them into two days, which was I don't think I even realized it when I got there until I started looking at the. Uh, the program more detail. So, so you had people talking about. Actually, I forget which way it was. Was day one were were artists and day two were platforms, sort of, or technologists? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, so you had a array of people like Julia and uh, uh, the folks behind um, Indie Game, the movie, uh, Lizanne and um, uh, Jamie, and and so they had all these people who'd done typically like really interesting and amazing things in their space. And it wasn't the people who'd made the most money or had necessarily the biggest impact. I mean, you weren't getting viral YouTube stars per se. You were getting people who had cracked a code for some aspect and then actually pulled it off. So like I get queries from time to time from filmmakers who are using Kickstarter to raise money and some of their projects are interesting. And I'm like, you know, I want to talk to you when the film is done because I talked to you now. There are a lot of people in that stage, but I want to know the lesson of the whole arc from you know. And so I talked to the indie game folks for an early episode of the show for number episode number one. Uh, it felt like that that there was a it was people who they weren't necessarily at the peak of their career yet. Uh, they might be. Uh, or on on the arc for that, but it was people who'd figured out some aspect, and you had all these different kinds of things, you know, writing and um, film and so forth. And then day two, you took this different tact. I, I think day one is more explicable. What was the thinking behind the technologists' uh, uh, set of talks? Well, the uh, the idea was, and this was the idea from the from the very beginning was was bring together artists of all kinds, filmmakers, musicians, video game designers, comic book illustrators, uh, so on, and hardware hackers and then bring them together with the technologists that are building the platforms that they're using to independently make a living and so we had uh we had kickstarter and you know cash music and vhx and and etsy and you know uh all of these these companies that have helped that have helped people do that and sometimes it was a it was a bit a bit broader like people that you know had been thinking deeply about online community or uh or you know finance or or um, but, uh, but that was, that was the intention was like, bring, bring these people together and put them all in one room and, and hope that they, you know, see what happens and hope they learn from, <laughs> from each other. Mm-hmm. And that was part of the, the audience was also full of people like that. So people who had done, I mean, I talked to so many people who'd done Kickstarter campaigns or had 
craft sites or were building projects that were, you know, collaborative with all these people. And I think there was a theme underlying it, not a theme, but there was an aspect. When I've talked to people at XOXO, when I plan for this podcast, that commerce is not an ugly word. Like this isn't a, it's not all about the joy of aesthetic appreciation. There's a lot of that in there. There's a lot of joy in it, but we don't ignore the fact that money is involved, that this is a way for us to make livings and to do things that are meaningful and get paid for what we think are meaningful. So I think Dan Harmon, his, his keynote, his end of day keynote in which he addressed the issue of doing a keynote at the end of the day was really he had a big chunk about sort of the money thing. And as someone who's clearly, you know, has made millions and millions of dollars from his work, I think he spoke from a great perspective about where money fits into the equation versus doing stuff you love and, and uh, making the choices not to do things for money, but not completely ignoring the fact that money is part of what lets you do things. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that was about money, using money as a tool. And he had obviously quite a lot of experience as money as this like corrupting <laughs> influence and things. And it was, yeah, it was a really nice way to end the day of talks from people saying like, I am doing this thing and I'm making enough. Like I, I'm not like getting greedy and, or whatever, you know, it's, it's enough for me to be happy doing what I do. And I, th I think that was actually a really nice end of the day. The, uh, the thing we didn't talk about, I think we sort of walked past it, which um, we could walk back around, is the way you launched the event. We talked a bit about just that, you know, this kind of came out of nowhere for people like, oh, Andy's doing, Andy, Andy, you're doing this thing. You chose to use Kickstarter, which, Andy B., you said early on one of the things that Kickstarter was planned for was to fund events. They thought this would be a great way to fund events, and but very few of them in relative terms compared to the other projects that happened. Uh, I think, was this the biggest ticket sale done on Kickstarter at that point, maybe uh, even since? Still, without, without yeah. question, it's the, it's the biggest event funded on yeah. Kickstarter. So you put this out. You said, hey, we're doing this thing, Kickstarter, 400 bucks, and you can get – there's some video packages if you don't want to attend and we run out. Uh, how did you structure that? I'm <laughs> very interested because it kind of came from nowhere. It was like, here's a new thing. Ah! Well, you know, uh, like, you, like you just alluded to, Perry, Perry Chen, who's the CEO and, and – uh, co-founder of uh of kickstarter the inspiration for kickstarter was that he was living in new orleans and he wanted to um he wanted to, to put on a concert uh at the same time as their big uh, jazz festival and it was going to cost money to bring these these djs that he that he loved out and he couldn't front the risk it was just like it didn't make any any sense like he he would have you know maxed out his credit cards and then maybe it would have been successful or maybe it wouldn't and and he's like this is so dumb if I could just pre-sell uh, the event, and if it hits a threshold, then everybody's charged, and if not, then nobody gets charged, then this wouldn't be a problem. And that was the original inspiration for it. Mm -hmm. And it ended up being it was a there's a long period of time that passed before uh, before Kickstarter actually you know even went into went into development. But I'd always been intrigued by that because you know I'd been um, I'd had a fascinated fascination with events for a long time. I did an event startup called Upcoming.org that you know. Uh, it was a social event calendar, and I'd been doing you know, meetups for a long time. Nothing anywhere on the scale of of what uh, of what Andy uh, Andy's done with Build. But you know, I I like ran a I ran a Kickstarter meetup uh, when I was working with Kickstarter in, in Portland, like inviting Kickstarter creators and and all that. And I, and I had been mulling this idea for a long time of of the how powerful that sort of conditional fundraising, the all-or-nothing model, could be for, for an event. And I was always, always surprised that nobody latched onto that. Um, and, and for us, it made a lot of sense. In the, in the video, we said explicitly, we're, if it didn't sell out completely, 
if it didn't sell out, then we won't do it. And right. that's, you know, that's, you know, be a drag, but that's okay. We'll all walk away. <laughs> and nobody loses anything. It's no big deal. Uh, and, and we did everything leading up to, to the project launch with that in mind. So we didn't sign any contracts. We didn't put down any deposits. We told everybody that we'd, we'd worked with that there's a chance that this might not happen, but this is what's going to, you know, this is what we're planning. And then uh, we launched it and it sold out in two days. But, and we we were not expecting that either. Like my favorite thing to to tell people is that be- before we hit the the big red button the night before, we were on Skype convincing each other not to do it. We're like, <laughs> here are all the potential things that could go wrong, or do like we're we're absolutely sure, right? Like, and I just remember leaving that call, and I I said like, you know, yeah, we're gonna go for it, but we're gonna have to work so hard to convince people. And I think that was the thing that really blew us away was. People got it. People people really understood what we were trying to do, and people trusted us. And I mean, that was the thing that ran throughout the whole event was that amount of trust that we had been given from people was just. I mean, how far away are we from Maxo? Like six months or more? I'm still completely blown away by the amount of trust and that kind of feeling in the room that everybody kind of uh, believed in us to be able to pull this thing off. This episode of The New Disruptors is supported by MailChimp. The people behind MailChimp appreciate creativity, chaos, and great ideas that defy the odds. More than 3 million people and businesses around the world use MailChimp to send and design newsletters. Teams can share feedback in real time to create campaigns and email subscribers. They just released a new version of their free app and relaunched the website to match. You can manage lists and campaigns and see the results in the app or at the site. Do you ever wonder, as I do, how MailChimp has such an amusing and consistent tone in how they communicate? Visit voiceandtone.com, its internal style guide that they've shared with the rest of us. On top of all that, MailChimp also distributes hats for cats and small dogs. More at MailChimp.com. MailChimp, listen hard, change fast. And now back to the podcast. It's so funny because when it got announced, my immediate response was, I have $400. I need to put that into Kickstarter as soon as possible because <laughs> this is going to sell out. I went to my uh, – I've got relatively small children and one of them was in childcare uh, to start kindergarten this last year. So I we we're going to start a school year. It was early in the year. I live in Seattle, so it's neat things. So I found my wife. I'm like, look, there's this amazing thing. I need to go there. I can stay with your brother and I don't have to pay. It will work. She's like, go go. This sounds incredible. This is so much what you need because I was in this sort of creative thing where I needed, you know, the book hat wasn't going well and I uh, just was needed something different. And so I saw it. I'm like, where is my $400 that I can put in this? And I I knew it was going to sell out. It just, it was self-evident to me that what you were doing was at the right time and the right set of things. The other thing is, you know, this year we'll talk about your lineup and the upcoming event. I know more of the people because I've spent more time working in the space and interviewing people. Last year, I would say half the people there I knew nothing about, but I kind of knew a glimmering of. And the other half I knew, and I wanted to hear what they had to say. I'd never heard them speak before. It's like Matt Howie. I've never heard Matt Howie speak before. I wanted, I desperately wanted to know how he built Metafilter and what that whole experience was and, and what lessons he'd learned. So to me, I looked at it and said, this is unlike any tech conference I've seen in the last 10 years because I actually want to go and sit in sessions. And so I expect that may have been why other people <laughs> rushed in as well. Yeah, I mean, I even calling it a tech conference has never felt that's never it's gelled not, with me. I, like we call technology it technology is an aspect of it, but it's it's the closest. It seemed like it might be 
a lot of the people involved are technically minded is the thing they are and and even i mean all all of the artists are and that's what that's mm-hmm. what kind of you, unites all of them i mean the it, the the funniest uh uh example of that was the was our lineup of musicians for for the for XOXO music they musically they had nothing to do with one another they really didn't it was like julia noons who's like ukulele singer songwriter and then uh, the Kleptones uh, from London. So basically, uh, you know, mashup uh, remix artist, uh, legendary uh, remixes. The Limousines is like indie electro pop from mm. from LA, and uh, and MC Frontalot, nerdcore hip hop. Mm. They have nothing to do with one another musically, and their and their fan bases often don't overlap either. But what's what they what unites them all is that they they've used the internet in in interesting ways to build their audience and find independence like the limousines were they were on a label and it was a disastrous experience for them they found mm-hmm. that they like the label wouldn't wouldn't help them they were making a, a tiny cut of what they what they should have been making on their on their album sales which were doing well and so they ended up leaving and doing a kickstarter project for their for their second album which just came out uh i think uh actually i think it's coming out this week um but yeah you know what it is? It's it's a crafts conference. As I think about it, is uh, there's a running joke on this podcast. I didn't realize I was saying this all the time until listeners pointed it out. I was trained as a graphic designer. I was trained as a typesetter. This is the running joke. But it's I always loved the the field of graphic design because it was a craft. It brings together art, commerce, communication. Uh, XOXO is about. I mean, you can say it's an arts conference, but it's also the craft part. Is that people are selling their wares in some form as a service or product, and that's and the intersection of that now is on top of technologies. Technology lets us be craftspeople and have a delivery, uh, you know, uh, funding and delivery mechanism that didn't exist, uh, you know, five years ago in this way. No, yeah, no question. I mean, it's a, it is an arts and, uh, and technology festival. And the one, you know, the thing that was, was interesting to me is I expected that, uh, that there would be artists learning from, learning more from the technologists than the other way around. And, uh, and actually what I, what I found is, you know, you have you you put all these independent artists on on stage, and it's actually there's a there's so much overlap of the things that uh, that like everybody has everybody has common problems and com and common issues, and and you know it may it may seem like a a filmmaker has little uh, to do with a, a freelance graphic designer, uh, or you know a, a independent video game creator has little to do with a musician because you know they're dealing with different aspects of of production but actually it all ties back to like four uh, major issues anybody that's trying to go independent has to deal with uh with production with marketing uh you know distribution uh you know these are these are like these are extremely common uh problems and and of course the 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 initial funding mm-hmm. of that of that project and so, you know, that's traditionally what, uh, like on, on the art side, that's what publishers did. On the uh, on the tech side, that's what VCs and uh, and and other types of uh, you know investors, you know, typically did. And they did it, you know, the the things that publishers got out of that equation were very similar to the things that uh, that VCs get, and they end up being gatekeepers in the same way. And so, I just I love that uh, seeing these parallel themes come up even though even though people seem so different like metafilter compared to indie game the movie you can see that they've gone through similar uh, similar things and learned uh, similar lessons from each other 
This is what I've found since, too, is that I keep finding – I keep calling them like thin intermediaries. I don't know if they're facilitators. It's like people who aren't gatekeepers, but they occupy kind of the position of the ecosystem that gatekeepers used to. So like a publisher used to uh, work hard to have only a small number of product come through so they can make blockbusters out of them or whatever. Or only, you know, you only have 700 and something movies distributed in theaters in the United States in order to concentrate the revenue there and to control that in the hands of a few studios. And now you have uh, – you know, everything on the internet opens that up and you still have the long tail problem of finding things and marketing things that are not as popular as the most popular thing. But I just started working with Stripe, which is a few years old, but as a credit card backend, um, Marco built them into the magazine. And Stripe, I'm, I didn't really understand them before. They're totally in this space, for instance, where they are there to help you process credit cards as a website or any, you know, anything you're running on the web. And they do not get in the way. They do not own your customers, sort of like Kickstarter does not own your customers. They do not put artificial bars in it. They are there actually to help you as opposed to, say, PayPal, which appears to be there to hinder you now. Uh, it's what PayPal seemed like it would be. And so we already had a generation or two in the 1990s and early 2000s, you know, into 2010s even, where it seemed like there were companies trying to help us. And now I feel in the last five years, now there are firms that really are in that place to help us get over the hump of collecting money, making stuff, distributing stuff. Yeah, I mean, the, I think what distinguishes this kind of next generation of services uh, from traditional publishers, even though they do, they, you know, they take some of the similar roles, the difference is creative and financial control. Mm-hmm. Like a publisher is going to, uh, if you can work with a publisher at all, you know, like often, you know, if you're if you're an author, for example, you never get. I mean, your odds of getting published are so vanishingly small, and that's like a best case scenario. Same with you know record labels and and film and TV are far worse. But let's say let's say that you know you do get an agreement and and you know you get signed to a label, you get you get signed to a to a book publisher, video game publisher. They are inevitably that they're going to exert their creative control because they're they're taking the risk. They're taking the financial risk of funding that project. And so in exchange, they're going to exert their creative control to make sure that, you know, it's a it's marketable or at least what they think is marketable. And then they're going to be taking a huge cut of equity again because they're taking uh, the financial risk. And services Kickstarter, Etsy, Stripe, VHX, you know, they are they only make money when uh, when the artists make money and they have no interest in doing uh, you know creative control at all and they're it's very reasonable <laughs> like the the percentage cuts are small. It's this dumb pipe smart pipe thing almost as as we talk about in like networking technology where the phone companies want to have smart pipes and have smart ends they want to control everything because that's where they can control where the money flows essentially if they can control what goes over the network and a dumb pipe is Netflix Netflix ships over the network and AT and T only makes a tiny amount of money for transiting it Stripe is willing to take uh, I don't two and a half percent plus a transaction fee or something uh, uh, Kickstarter is willing to take five percent they're not looking to take fifteen twenty thirty fifty percent of the transaction because they want to maximize the amount of volume. They'd rather have a $10 billion amount of flow going through and take 3% of that than have a billion dollars and take 10% or 20%. And, of course, these services have no interest in ownership either. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you work, with a, you work with a label, you're often, you know, you're giving up, at the very least, you're giving up distribution rights. Uh, but, but often you're, um, you know, in addition to giving up a huge cut of equity, you, uh, you may be giving your masters and your master recordings mm-hmm. to them you know you may be giving them uh, exclusive tenure uh, i mean that's like 10 years common label clause that they have exclusive 
you know. And what if what if something happens in that period of time? So you're basically then you're waiting that out, and you can't uh, you can't re-release to your fans. Uh, you know, they it's just, this is well-trodden territory in 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 each of these industries. It gets hilarious too because you have musicians re-recording their own work. Like Susan Vega doesn't own her masters, so she uses the compulsory recording right to make her own recordings and pays her label money for every recording of her own stuff that she's re-recorded because she wants to have her own ownership of new renditions of her songs. Oh, it's so sad. De- Def Leppard and Everclear both put out uh, albums recently where they did note-for-note oh. covers of their of their own work, but they're older. You know, it's yeah. like it's impossible to do. You know, a note for I mean, Def Leppard. You can't you can't come come back thirty years they later. They own the like, recordings, but so through all this, great response, great event, great lead up, great response, and we're coming towards September again. And a few months ago, said, "Hey, we're going to do this thing again." Was that a difficult decision to uh, to decide? I mean, it was a huge piece of your guys' life. I realized to come up with it. it was a difficult decision to say we're going to capture lightning in a bottle again and do it, or was it like we just have to make it happen? I think we both walked away from it beforehand, like before when we were planning and things were frustrating sometimes. And when we were in the kind of heat of, or actually being there and running things like that question was still up in the air. We were like, okay, yeah, you know, we'll come to that eventually. But when in the aftermath, of course we were going to do it again. You know, (laughs) why would we not, you know, Everyone had such an amazing time. We felt incredible. Like it just, it got such a great reaction. Like there was absolutely no reason not to. And so we're, we're very, very happy to be doing it again. At least I am. I know I'm, I mean, the, (laughs) working on it again. I'm, I'm extremely excited to do again. The, I mean, going into it, I didn't, I, I didn't know if it was going to be a one-time thing. And I never, I, you know, we never said uh, at the event that, you know, come back next year or anything like that. But but what happened was the reaction was unlike anything that I'd ever seen. I mean, I've been to a lot of, I've been to a lot of amazing events, of, you know, and, but hearing the reactions uh, from people, especially like the after party, that's where like everybody was like, oh my God, you know, this telling us over and over again that it was the, I had people say that it was the best of, you know event that they'd ever been to. People were t- told me that they'd been changed, that they'd been touched in some in some way. <laughs> was I, I mean I, I I didn't expect that. Like I knew it was going well. You know it's going well. You can feel that like people are having a good time and and it's but like we were all crying when we left. I mean that's how good it was. <laughs> we were crying during your closing. I your think box. that's our fault. Didn't we we started that? <laughs> Everyone crying followed. It was hard to. Yeah, I mean, it was it was an emotional experience. You know, you put so much of um, you put so much of your 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 energy and and soul into something, and and then people got it. You know, they really got it. So, yeah, I mean, we we had to do it again. How could we not? I mean, we, I I, I had people drug. threatening. Yeah. I had people basically threatening me. They're like, if you don't do it, we are going to have a serious problem. No, I, I told people I've said this many many times, and I've compared notes with many other attendees. Is that for about uh, I got back from Portland, and I I'm I'm not really a recreational drug user, and my wife was wondering what I was on, and for <laughs> two weeks I was flooded with endorphins. I don't think I've. I've had some very happy moments in my life, but for an extended period, I am not sure I've ever felt that happy for that long in that mindset. So that was unique and unexpected to me, too, because I felt like 
huge parts of my life had opened up and changed. And then I, like a lot of other people, I know people who changed careers, changed jobs. I'm doing, I wrote a blog post recently about how I realized 85% of what I spend my time doing today is different than June 2012. And a big hunk of it was pivoted on. Was There was Jeopardy, there was XOXO, and the Singleton Conference, but but XOXO was a big part of that in the middle because that was the thinking of, you know, I had the funding from, actually it was funny, the funding was Jeopardy, the thinking and mindset was XOXO and Singleton's where I met Marco Arment, which is why I'm working on the magazine. And that was, you know, sort of professional, but XOXO, so many people I talked to had that reaction. We were all, and we were all like, well, okay, when is the 2013 event happening? You've got it scheduled now. In fact, if the timing is right, as this airs, if I understand correctly, tickets will be on sale. We, with uh, with luck, it uh, you know it should be the week uh, that that this that this airs. So people listening may will you know go to xoxofest.com and see. Do are uh, now I we to ask we have a, we do have we have a notification list uh, up right now uh, that lets people people sign up to get notified. And of course, we'll we'll be all over uh, Twitter and everything else. Right. So if it's so if it's not tickets aren't for sale yet, they will be very soon. And if you signed up for that list, you'll get them. So do you want to talk about this year's lineup? Did you did, you've got some different ways you're conceiving parts of the event? It sounds like there's some changes in, in sort of the uh, logistics of things. Yeah, I mean, well, the biggest the biggest change is that, you know, we didn't realize last year how uh, fundamental the, the whole festival thing the, the festival part of the of the event was going to be there was the conference which was the talks uh but then the, the the festival ended up being really its own thing like i said arcade film music and and uh and social all the social events the 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 market and and everything else and so we have we have an insane amount of demand <laughs> right now and <laughs> and we didn't want to we looked at bigger venues and we couldn't find anything that we loved uh, nearly as much as the as the YU, which has that character Yale Union. It just has this this vibe to it. The the limitation is that uh, the capacity is is still 500 people, mm-hmm. and so what we were what we were tasked with was was coming up with a way to make it to, to opening it up to uh, a wider audience to people that uh, that absolutely would love XOXO, but uh, you know knowing that we have this uh, this this hard limit. And so what we're doing this year is. We are we're offering festival passes that give you access to everything except for for the talks, and we're mm. we're using uh, we're using the the revenue from those uh, those passes to you know expand um, uh, that festival program. So last year we did you know we did the music arcade and film and everything else, and we can you know expand that uh, uh, based on based on demand. That's great, and then the, it's still a core two-day conference with with speakers on both days. Yes. Uh, so you've got a, a really interesting lineup of speakers that I think it's it, is anybody nobody's repeating from last year. Either. This is an entirely, entirely new list of people, which is also sometimes unusual. Some conferences tend to have the standbys, but you have a whole new group of people, and again, sort of split into these two categories. Yeah, entirely uh, new slate, and this is uh, you know the just like what last year. Uh, you know the what we announce is is kind of the initial lineup, and then you know as uh, as it gets closer to the event, we we announce you know more and more surprises. Like last year, we waited until very close to the event to announce that you know like Adam Savage and Dan Harmon uh, were coming out. And we added we added speakers and events as uh, as time went on. But I uh, I think we're both really uh, really happy with the initial slate. Well, we should insert the standard uh, conference organizer. The best is oh, yet yes. to come. We've got so much <laughs> good stuff in the pipeline. Um, we're 
we're sharing uh, the lineup, and we're we're obviously very happy to share it with you guys as well. But yeah, we've we got a lot of really good stuff in the pipeline to building out the the festival and and the conference this year. That's great, and you'll have. I mean, so it's a this. You've got a good split here, where if you've got people like uh, Max Temkin, uh, who was just on an episode recently, Cards Against Humanity, who's an inveterate uh, crowdfunder and game mechanic, and has been involved in developing many different popular games. You've got Jonathan Colton, who, you know, I think he's an interesting guy because uh, you know he's reached such. Uh, I think fame at one level, but also he's still tinkering with everything himself. He doesn't have a label. He's got people who help him with stuff, but he's still, you know, a one-man operation in a lot of ways. It's not a, you know, corporation or, or whatever. There's some other folks, I, you know, I don't know nearly as well. You've got someone coming from PBS Ideal Lab. What is Ideal Lab doing? So uh, uh, Mike Renetta is, uh, he's, he has his history in doing, uh, talking about internet culture and, and memes, and he runs PBS Idea Channel, which is easily one of my favorite video blogs it's basically every week he proposes an idea and uh and then goes deep uh on that idea and it's covered uh, he's covered a lot of ground and you know uh we've been we've been talking back and forth about about uh you know what specifically he's going to be covering this year but i think uh, i mean he's he's going to be great same with uh with jay smooth who's uh who does ill doctrine another video blog about uh uh about you know of, uh, actually, primarily about like hip hop and and uh, it was originally like hip hop and remix culture, and then and then ended up talking about uh, about identity, uh, uh, racial identity a lot, but uh, you know, social issues. He's he's awesome. Uh, Molly Crabapple, uh, artist and illustrator who who has uh, remained entirely independent, did a did a very successful Kickstarter project. Um, Cable from Cable Sasser from Pan- Panic, uh, who's a you know that's a that's a company that uh was just started by two friends doing doing software has has resisted all uh all attempts at uh you know being acquired uh and they've had ridiculous offers and and cable has never really come out publicly and talked about this stuff and he's going to be uh he's going to be doing a talk for the first time really um going over this stuff he's a very very funny man he'll be great uh, and I see Chris Anderson is uh, be very interesting on the schedule. He's, he's of course, uh, was editor in chief of Wired for more than a decade, and you kind know, of shaped how people were talking about technology and the popular culture. And then he accidentally started this uh, robotics company, which he's now the, the chief executive of, uh, and, and has written also several best-selling books. So he's got a lot of different aspects uh, to talk about in that area. I mean, he's basically he he wrote he wrote the book about uh, about this kind of new. Uh, uh, this new revolution, at least how it applies to to uh, industrial engineering and, and, and hardware. Oh, yeah, it came out right around the time of XOXO Makers came out, and that was, uh, he was the number two uh, person on the number sec- uh, second slot on the podcast. Uh, because, yeah, XOXO came out, I read that book, and I'm like, there is something huge happening here. And a lot of people felt that same way at the same time. Um, and yeah, rounding it out, we have uh, Maciej Skowski, uh, who, who runs Pinboard, has very, been very out- outspoken about uh, about you know, not taking funding and why independence matters. And someone you know very, very well, uh, Marco Arment, who uh, uh, originally, when when we reached out to him, was you know having him come talk about uh, about the magazine and and uh, and Instapaper. And I was going to talk about selling everything. <laughs> now he'll talk about he'll talk about uh, again the same. You know, 
why why it has been important for him to to stay independent, giving the flexibility to do the things that that he wants to do, and uh, and with luck, you know, talking about his uh, his new project. Whatever that will be, I know I'm so excited to hear. This is and not being disingenuous to the audience. I have no idea what Marco is working on. He's not. It's not that he's private. It's more that he knows the value of not sharing ideas until he's ready and with the people he wants to share them with. So we'll hear about it. Uh, so the fundamental problem I've talked to people about for the last nine months about XOXO was how will you sell tickets fairly? Because those of us who attended, a lot of us want to come back. I want to buy three tickets myself for myself, my brother-in-law who edits this audio, and the managing editor at the magazine. And uh, so all, if all of the people who attended want to buy three tickets, that's a problem. So what is what fair and wonderful method of Socratic and uh, uh, you know epistemological uh, unity have you developed to, uh, yeah, to make I that mean, work? It, it has been the biggest challenge for us, and it's what we've talked about the the most. And inevitably, just because of capacity issues, there are going to be uh, you know people that uh, that get left out. We simply cannot accommodate all of all the demand. But uh, the the best what what we want to do is make sure that we have uh, we have an audience of attendees that is that has the captures the kind of same energy and you know uh, trust and diversity that we had uh, like diversity of ideas and diversity of, of everything that like that we had last year and what we uh so what we're basically what we're doing is uh is we are you know giving priority access to those people that kind of embody what exo uh, is about which is you know people that it's primarily people that make it's people that uh you know artists hackers uh coders designers artists founders and uh and so we're giving you know that that the hope is that we give priority access to those people, then release uh, release additional tickets as they as availability uh, allows. So, what are you going to do for alumni, or are you going to be able to do anything? Are you because if you, I know there's the problem of having too much of the same. I mean, even as I want to go back, I also understand the problem of having the same audience each time too. So, are you? Is there going to be a alumni priority? Is there going to be an advanced ticket sales, or what are you going to do, or, or nothing? It's been a really tough call. <laughs> it's a really tough call because, yeah, you're right. I mean, like you, you balance, uh, like you don't want it to be too insular. You don't want it to feel like the. Um, it's a cl- you don't want it to be exclusive club. Even though I want to be part of that exclusive club, I understand the danger of that. Like I also don't want it to be an exclusive club. Yeah. So we are. All I can say is that we are. Uh, we're still working through those uh, through those issues. Even 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 this close. Let's um, well, really too. Yeah. Well, you want to be. You guys are very, very fair. I mean, there's. A, it's very clear in a lot of the aspects of what you do. You have a fundamental idea about fairness, and so you don't want to. You know, there's a funny thing. There's a, a friend in Seattle who used to run a lot of uh, events with chefs when they come through town and do cooking events, and people would complain. I didn't hear about the event, and it sold out. And she would say. Well, you know, if you got on our mailing list, you could get in early. And I'm like, but then somebody – there's an electron bumping problem there. Somebody else wouldn't get to come. So there is that thing. It's like those of us who are sitting there with credit cards burning on fire, like, you know, I don't I don't want to displace other people even as I want to go and bring other people with me. But there's, there is that problem. Well, it's a big I, part of the reason – uh, sorry, I was just—I mean, I was just going to say—it's a big part of the reason why we why we wanted to do the festival passes too. Was mm-hmm. yeah. was, you know, bring bring new voices into it and and people that you know if it does like inevitably it's going to sell out quickly. It sold out in two two days last time. It's going to sell out quick, at least the conference portion. At least this way, you know, uh, if you if you want to come and be part of this thing and and I mean, like we are expanding the festival program. It it, it will be. 
it will absolutely be worth your your you know time and well and you did this nice thing last year too as i know as part of the kickstarter and then later you expanded it which was that people who uh, went after you know after it sold out you could still buy a video package and kind of a gift back package where you could get a sampling of what was was there and get access to the videos and then later you put all the videos some months later put all the videos online so we can all go and see uh see the talks and so there is a way to to be part of that i mean i know apple you know a different realm entirely but apple sold out wwdc in seven minutes or something and the developers were railing but they had five thousand six thousand people there and they're putting the videos on like instantly to help deal with that capacity thing so there are ways to if you don't get to go to xoxo this year there are ways that you can actually you know have access to what was said at the very least Totally, and we are we're going to do the same thing with uh, okay. with video passes this year to to give um, people that buy a festival uh, pass. You know, you, you can't go to the talks, but you know, as soon as you as soon as you get home, you'll be able to watch them before everybody else. Well, that'd be interesting. Then you can get some of the community. You can hang out with the people, and then you could actually watch them later, but still get the community aspect. Totally, it's a funny problem. Success is a problem that we talk about a lot in this show because um, uh, success can be just as bad as failure <laughs> if you disappoint people. You know, sometimes you make the money, but you don't want to have people, uh, you know, angry at you for something that actually is successful. And uh, um, it's probably I talk about a friend of mine who's a baker in Seattle. He opened a pastry shop and he was selling out at nine, nine thirty in the morning every day. And that's bad. Like he's happy to make the money, but it's bad for how people feel about him. And so I, I understand that's something you're trying to balance and, and uh, make sure people feel that the process you chose is is the right one. I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's it's all been in the interest of, of fairness. And I think. Uh, trying these are problems that are very difficult to solve. You know, the festival is obviously people know what it is, and they have some expectation. And obviously, we got a lot of really good publicity, and we've had to kind of deal with this reaction and and deal with the fact that a lot more people are going to want to come. And you know, we're going to have, I would say, almost everyone who was uh, sitting at the conference last year will want to come back. Because of the, <laughs> because of the reaction, so we have all of these really incredible. Uh, I wouldn't even call them problems because that's these are these are still things that have to be dealt with, and and uh, I think we we're, we're working really hard to try to keep as many people happy as possible. And I I for one am really happy that we came up with the festival idea. Like a, a lot of people said last year, I think a lot of people are very precious of it as well. A lot of people said at the end last year, don't change anything keep this exactly the same mm -hmm. and keep doing it like this and I'm like okay that sounds good in theory but if we keep doing it like this you're going to get bored and you're not going to have fun anymore and you're you know it'll stagnate and you won't have fun so we're going to have to obviously we'll change stuff we're going to improve stuff we're going to add stuff every year and i think the the one thing i'm particularly excited about is that we were inviting people to come to portland and we were inviting people to come and participate in xo and we find a way to do that We've been found a way to to let more people come and take part without taking anything away from what EXO is, and I'm actually I'm I'm really excited to have more people in the city for this thing. I think it's going to be pretty excellent. Yeah, one thing that uh, you'd have people come up and say, you know, like if you grow it, there's going to be intimacy. Probably, it's not going to feel the same. It's gonna it's gonna you know feel different. And I my take with that has always been that. Events change their character not solely because of size, but because of a shift in in who they you know how like how the the entire thing is uh, is changing. It's no longer uh, like it's 
I mean, there's the, uh, I mean, the classic example of, of South by Southwest Interactive, which, you know, originally was very much about, uh, uh, let's say, creative technology. And then over time shifted to be about the, uh, the business and marketing of technology. And so it, it wasn't really the size that made, you know, South by Southwest Interactive less interesting to those, to those original creative mm-hmm. technology people. It was, it was that shift in focus. It was the, you know, a, a very different set of attendees. I, I think size is also something that people can very easily point at and say, oh, it got bad because it got bigger, because it, you could so easy to see something get bigger. But I actually do feel like EXO could get bigger, but in a good way. There are, there are plenty of ways that this thing can improve and also include more people, so long as everyone there feels the same way. Like the we were gifted last year with you know, 400 people who were sitting in the room and everyone felt the same way. Everyone got it. Everyone uh, gave as much as they took away from the day. And I think that, I mean, not to tar other events or anything, but I think this is still very much me and Andy. This is such a personal thing. And the fact Mm -hmm. that we are like sitting on Skype and I am every day, like thinking about how we make this thing better and how we make it reflect who we are uh and what we want it to be that that keeps it genuine and i think so long as we're panicking everything will be fine well the uh you know just don't launch xoxox for like the tedx <laughs> events it'll be okay yeah well this is should we announce I, I, uh the doritos blimp that we have coming <laughs> oh. this year should so, be so drone excited. that would deliver chips. So right excited to announce the uh, the Red Bull uh, Doritos uh, tent, uh, where you'll be able to uh, <laughs> the lounge. There's nothing in it, but it's we're full injected. of Doritos and Red Bull, and you have to try to just survive in this giant tent <laughs> full of Doritos and Red Bull. It's injectable and inhalable forms of both. That's yeah. the that's not. Andy and Andy, I am looking so forward to attending. Even if I don't get a ticket, I'm still going to come and, and do the festival. So uh, I don't, no special treatment. And uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward <laughs> to being there. And, uh, uh, and thanks for talking about the, the, the shape of this thing. Because I, you know, I know one of your guys' issues is you would like more people to be doing and thinking about things in this way. And there's a little proselytizing of, the, of a thought process. And this event is one way through which you do it. And it's, a, and it's now becoming a prominent way. But I know that part of this is, you know, is is how do we help people think in this way? And I think the event is spreading it even for people who don't go. Uh, we hope so. Because, you know, ultimately we want more people to, to be able to independently make a living doing what they love. And, you know, it's, uh, it's something that, that we feel strongly about. And if this, if this helps, like, I mean, I, I could be working on a lot of other things right now. I'm devoting six months of, of my life every year to, to work on this uh, because it matters. It's something that I think has profoundly affected a lot of people in the past, and you have the potential to do that again in the future. It's a very interesting place to be in. I've talked about this as a consciousness-raising ex- experience, and um, and I think that's what it is. But uh, but but not that was sort of an epiphenomenon of of what you did. It turned out that that that's what happened, and that's a wonderful outcome. If you try to plan those things, that can be difficult. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. We had uh, we had people that um, you know came into it, even even though I I felt like we hammered it home. 
throughout, like that it was about, you know, taking control of your, uh, of your work and, and retaining financial creative control and, and, and staying independent and, and what the whole thing was about. But I, I did hear from, you know, like there, there, there were several people that, um, you know, towards the end, they're like, once they'd seen everything, it just sort of coalesced. Mm-hmm. Like it all, it all just made sense. Like it snapped into focus for them. And I love that. Well, let's capture that that lightning again. And thank you both for being on the podcast. Thanks so much. Thank you. You've been listening to The New Disruptors, a podcast for and about creative people and the audiences they reach. We're part of the Mule Radio Syndicate. Visit muleradio.net slash new disruptors for the detailed show notes and links for this episode, as well as to listen to or download any previous episode. You can use our site to subscribe to the podcast via RSS or click a link to find us on iTunes, where you can rate and review the podcast. Click the contact link on our page or email newdisruptors at muleradio.net if you have compliments, complaints, or suggestions. If you're interested in sponsoring the podcast, drop us a line or visit sponsor.muleradio.net. Our theme music is by Jeff Tolbert, who you'll find at jefftolbert.com, and our audio engineer is Michael Warner. I'm your host, Glenn Fleischman. Please join us again next time.